This episode of the Ghost Story Guys is brought to you by Studio Headphones. The pair they sent me are the Studio Tray, their newest model for those with an active lifestyle. They still sent them to me, but don't tell them. They have impeccable clarity in the instrumental tones and well-balanced sound. And I can vouch for this. I'm very picky with sound quality, and I do like these headphones. I actually use them. With 9-plus hours of active battery life and 10 days of standby life, the tray is a perfect companion for you at home or on the go. It is made out of sweatproof material. I will put this to the test. And has custom wingtips that stay comfortably in your ears no matter how you're moving. The combination of high-polished metal and matte surfaces embodies the vision of Scandinavian design. And I do like Scandinavian design. There's this hotel... I, anyway, sorry, it's not important. Our listeners can go to Studio Sweden. That's S-U-D-I-O Sweden.com and enter the promo code GHOSTSTORYGUYS for 15% off their first order. That's studiosweden.com. Enter the promo code GHOSTSTORYGUYS for 15% off your first order. Now on with the show. your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brendan Storr. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun is set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode 25, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. Welcome back, my friend. It's been a while. Uh, it has. And you know what I was just thinking about as you were uh, reading that? The first time you did that introduction, and we had to do it like 14 times. Yes, we did. On the first <laughs> we, we sure did. <laughs> yes, I think that's actually in the episode. I think you do I, say, I'll be happy if, if I, don't I don't have to, have to record read this that again. again. Yeah. Yep. That's pretty crazy that it's been a year. And I remember it by heart now. Uh, excellent. Only in the last maybe... Maybe three or four episodes. And it will go with you to your grave. It absolutely it, will. Yeah, you'll be mumbling that on your deathbed. Are, <laughs> what is he talking about? Is it a about? riddle? <laughs> Tell us where the gold is, Grandpa. <laughs> well, it's good to be back. And and if anyone's tuning in for the first time, we took an episode off after Christmas just to give ourselves a break. Yeah, and it, w- it was needed. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, for the first two weeks or so, every time I thought about the show, I just had anxiety. That's not good. That's terrible. I mean, that's the opposite of what we actually want to happen when you think about the show. That's what everyone said to me. Anyone yeah. I told them about the anxiety, they said, you know, that's- That's a not, bad sign. That's not the point, right? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's meant to be a funny show. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, right. Not right, anxiety. Right, 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 yeah. right. Yeah, I think it was January 11th before I thought, you know, I, I miss working on the show. I want to get back to work good. on it. Good. That's I good. mean, I'd still been working on things kind of peripherally. Right. With our- yeah, no, You're no, we're going to wait. Telling you? No? Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll a little bit. All right, all right. Uh, anyways, did you enjoy your time off? What, what did you get up to? I know you made cinnamon, uh, cinnamon buns. I did. were apparently very good. Yes, and uh, they were so good, and I'm sorry they were so good because <laughs> I know you can't eat them. Did Nikki like them at least? She loved them. Yay! Yeah, she was a big fan. Well, that was my first shot doing that, and they were a Cinnabon ripoff, and they turned out amazing. So, yeah, I was happy about that. Um, other than that, we just sort of, you know, had people over for dinner and drank too much wine and generally <laughs> ate too much chocolate and just generally had a good kind of... Nothing Christmas. wrong with that, man. Yeah, I know. It was fun. It was fun. How about you? What did you do? Uh, no, I decompressed mostly. I read a couple books, played good. some video games, I hit yep. the gym a bunch. Good. Um, actually, I, I'm 
even though I know no one on God's green earth cares about my gym routine, <laughs> I, I hit a personal best, and by God, I'm, I'm going to brag about it. Well, I generally only want to hear about someone's gym routine if they happen to fall face first <laughs> off the treadmill, but because it's you, please go ahead. What did you do? I can now biceps curl 70 pounds three times. Wow, this is a new thing for you. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, ah. when I was working on the book, uh, I, I when I started writing the book, I said I want to do two things. Right. I want to uh, write a book. And, and I want to find a girlfriend. That's right. <laughs> uh, didn't tell Nikki about the second oh, part. Oh, right. Oh, you're married then. Never mind. Right, yeah. yeah. Uh, thankfully, she doesn't listen to the show. <laughs> um, but um, no, I wanted to write the book and bench press 300 pounds. Nice. And uh, it turns out bench pressing 300 pounds is a lot easier than writing a book, which <laughs> is why I think so many of those guys in the gym have giant muscles. Because <laughs> it's easier just to lift than it is to write a book. Yes. Nice. So anyway, so I, I, back then I, I finally managed to get up to 300 pounds. And right. then uh, I did manage to get up to one rep of 70 pounds on, okay. on like the bicep curls. But yeah. it was it was tough. And then now I can do two or three rather before my body starts crumbling like a cake in MacArthur Park. <laughs> so anyways, no one gives a shit. But I, I, I just, I'm quite, quite pleased about this. Well, that will come in handy if you ever need to, uh, you know, uh, carry heavy sacks of grain maybe or... <laughs> Birth a cow? I don't know how that really works. Well, but. considering I'm going to be looking for work here pretty soon, I, <laughs> that might actually be helpful. Well, so. then you're set. That's I am awesome. <laughs> so this is our one-year anniversary episode. woo And just like our Halloween episode, it's going to be all about you. We asked for listener Me? stories. No, not mm. you. You just sit there and keep your mouth shut. Yes, we, we asked for listener stories and you guys- You got sassy on your break. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, yeah, I, I should have done a self-actualization class or something. Yeah. Brandon won't push me around anymore. That's right. I'm good enough to stand on my own. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. I'm and doggone it. People, people like me. me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're a bunch of- <laughs> we asked for listener stories from you guys, and thank you because you delivered again. Over the course of the show, we'll be sharing your stories, some of them scary, some of them sweet, and one that got even Brennan all misty-eyed. I had onions in my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just getting the emotions out. That's right. Uh, and on this episode, we I'm actually also- through my eyes. <laughs> We also sweating. That's right. And on this episode, we also actually have a special musical guest. We sure do. Yeah, uh, on one of our December shows, I mentioned that two of our listeners, Rachel and Steve, have a synthwave band called Hexagram, which I've played on my radio show a couple times. Is that double X or triple X? <laughs> uh, just just double. We don't oh, we don't okay. know them well enough to say these. Things. Oh, okay. Sorry, <laughs> my mistake. And for our one year anniversary, they graciously lent us the use of one of their songs as bumpers. Nice. Yeah, yeah. That song is it's all for you, Damien, from their debut EP, The Dead Babysitters Club. <laughs> I love that. Um, me too. Yeah, That's it's awesome. it's, a, it's a great stuff. I, I think I sent it to you. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. It's good. And you can find that on Bandcamp, Spotify, and Google Music. Uh, maybe other places too, but those are the ones I know. Nice. You'll hear it in two halves, so the bumpers will be a little bit longer than usual. Um, we're also going to wait until the end of the show for this, but I really want to say it now. <laughs> Go for it. We have a new member joining the Ghost Story Guys team. Yay! Luke Greensmith, who we've talked about before. He was the guy who would send us a lot of background info on the subjects we talked about and is now officially coming on board as our researcher, and we are super excited about that. He's awesome. Yeah, he is. And, and we're not excited just because Luke's a cool dude, but or he seems like a cool dude. We don't know him that well yet. But He's sure. in England, so yeah, yeah. he could be anything, really. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> He's actually just an armchair <laughs> that has been given the curse of consciousness. <laughs> I'm sorry, Luke. I know you're not an armchair. Because um, you walk around. We know this. <laughs> that, yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah. no one. Yeah. yeah. I think he can kick my ass because he was, he posted something on Facebook the other day about doing some Muay Thai. Right. And uh, apparently that's a, that's a martial arts thing. Oh. And I am. You don't want to cross I'm that. enfeebled, so no. No, yeah. I, uh, 
Uh, so anyways, moving on. Um, <laughs> having a dedicated researcher gives us more time to focus on writing, and it'll let us do deeper dives into subjects. Yeah. Uh, Luke is also working with us on getting mini episodes off the ground. Mm-hmm. And so there's a chance that sometime in the next few months, there will be some form of ghost story guys available on a weekly basis. I like that. That's very hazy. Yeah. In the next few months, it might maybe, possibly happen. Maybe. Who knows? And I mean, it could just be a picture of what we're eating that day. <laughs> I mean, that's... Right. Yeah. But it's content. It's, God uh, damn it. It still counts. Yeah. No, well, th- I, I'm going away in March. Right. right. It's for nine days. Right. At least nine days. Probably closer to 10, 12. Where are you going? Um, I'm taking my mom to Vegas. Oh, right. I knew that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got to do, so I'm doing that. And then I also, you know, just, I'm going back to work, hopefully. So, yeah. you know, that will suck up sometime. Yeah. So I, I don't want, and also I don't know what the, the mini episodes will look like. Right. So that's the other thing. I, I'm right. still trying to figure out what, because there's got to be a reason for it to exist. Yeah. So I'm trying to figure out what that looks like. Right. Okay. Um, no, that's cool. But no, hopefully, uh, hopefully that will be a thing. It sort of scares me a little bit. That is the appropriate response. (laughs) All right. We've been on vacation long enough. When we come back from the break, we're going to creep each other out with some listener stories and a few of our own. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We're going to get right into it. This first story is from Tim, who sent it to us way back in November. So about two years ago, Tim and some of his friends who live on the north side of Chicago decided to check out the famously haunted Bachelors Grove Cemetery. Mm. The cemetery is, I think, in Midlothian, Illinois, which is south of the city. Right. And Tim says it took them about an hour to get there. Of course, it was nighttime. Oh, naturally. Uh, The plan had been to explore, but when they got there, there were signs everywhere warning about a $500 fine for trespassing. Right. And there was a police cruiser parked across the street, so exploration was a lot less appealing. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, oh, and they saw several coyotes while they drove. Even better. Yeah, so trying to get them to the cemetery through the bush was a real bad idea. Well, even without coyotes, it wasn't a good idea. I remember that episode we did on haunted sanitariums. Oh, yeah. Cops hang out in the woods waiting for kids to try and, yeah, Yeah. not going to work. Humping through the woods at night is always a bad idea, especially if it's for something as dumb as checking out a haunted cemetery. Mm -hmm. That's a ghost story guy's life tip for you. Now, if you're in the woods because you're trying to get laid, that's another thing entirely. Please, just no. But you got to go into the woods. You can't, like, people know what lover's lanes are. They they know. Stop. Right? Stop. This is not a life tip. I think it is. Well, yeah, you would. Yeah. Just just stop. Also, just because you think it's remote doesn't mean it is. <laughs> Scope the area out first. Oh, my God. Well, no, that's true. Just stay home and make out in your parents' basement like a normal teenager. Yeah. Well, I hope teenagers don't listen to the show. Well, we know at least one does. 
Or a kid does. Simon, cover your ears. Yeah, Simon. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways. Uh, Having decided trespassing was a bad idea, Tim and his friends decided to cruise around the area to see if they could see anything. Right. They figured they'd come all that way, they may as well give it a try. On a long stretch of road next to the forest, they were driving slowly, trying to look into the woods, when a car came up behind them going much faster than they were. They didn't want to speed up because they wanted to keep looking for things, but there was nowhere for them to pull over, so they had to keep driving for about a minute until the shoulder widened and they could let the other car pass. But it never did. Tim says there was nowhere for that car to turn off. It was just gone. Wow. And what I find interesting here is how they dealt with it, because it's very much like a lot of other stories we've talked about. They brushed the whole thing off as a, quote, weird experience and just headed home. Well, I mean, that's what people do. I mean, I've done it, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's just easier than confronting it, because once you confront it, that makes it real. Yep. And then you have to deal with it. So it's just easier. Just, oh, that was weird. Moving on. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, apparently that got more difficult the next morning when Tim's friend, the one who was driving, sent him some information. As it turns out, they're not the only ones who've seen what appears to be a disappearing car on that stretch of road. Oh, wow. Yeah. Supposedly, it usually speeds up behind you, hits the back of your car, feeling like a real crash, but leaving no damage. That would not be cool. No, no, no. Mm -mm. Uh, Tim wonders if pulling over saved them from having that happen. And, I mean, he claims none of the people in the car had even heard of this happening before going out to Bachelor's Grove. They just knew it was supposed to be haunted. That's awesome, especially the part about none of them realizing it was paranormal until afterwards. That, well, that's it. Yeah, I mean, th- those always interest me. Um, yeah. Do you remember me telling you about the dead guy in my building? Uh, kind of. Remind me. So uh, a couple of years ago, there was this guy in our apartment building named Dave. He was an old guy, been around there forever. And he was in not great shape towards the end. He drank a lot. And one day, paramedics finally took him to the hospital. And a few days later, I passed him in the hallway. And I thought, he, he was staring straight ahead and looked pretty pissed. So right. we kind of did that thing where you pretend you don't see each other. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember thinking to myself, man, Dave looks like hell. Yeah. I can't believe we've let him out of the hospital. Uh, so I wasn't surprised when I finally found out he died. Mm-hmm. What did surprise me was finding out that he died in the hospital a few days after he was taken away. He never came home. Oh, so you saw him in the hallway. He was already dead. Wow. Yeah. And, and that's that's not unusual. Like, I've heard stories like that, but usually it's family members coming back to say goodbye. It's weird that he was randomly coming back to check on his apartment. Just wandering <laughs> yeah. through the apartment looking all pissed off. <laughs> wow, that's pretty intense, though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of dead, and okay, that may be in poor taste, but whatever. <laughs> speaking of dead, uh, Tim says that within a year of that experience outside Bachelor's Grove, two of the four people in that car were dead. Wow. Did yeah. he think that was a sign or an omen or... He didn't specify that in his email, but he he did wonder if maybe they saw what they did because two of the people in the car were close to death. Right. I, I'm not a big proponent of that theory, but only because I feel like we'd hear more about people seeing things when they're near death, you know? Yeah. It, it feels too neat. Yeah. No, I get that. I totally get that. Tim also gave us some places to start for our New York City episode too, so thank you, Tim. Yes, thank you. Our next listener story is from Bob, who's been catching up on the show and heard a few references to Royal Roads University here in Victoria, where he was a custodian from 1995 to 2005. According to Bob, every single building and the woods surrounding the place have a presence. Bob says there's a shadow in the muse. That might be people screwing in the woods. Oh, God. No, it's not. (laughs) Bob says there's a shadow person in the Muse, which is the U-shaped building across from the old YMCA building on campus. While vacuuming the main floor of the castle, which is the central building for Railroads University, right in front of the fireplace, Bob would get goosebumps like someone was watching him. And he says that third floor landing was something else altogether. 
So he felt like it's an actual person in the castle? He does. And he said he feels like it's Laura Dunsmere. Uh, Laura Laura was married to James Dunsmere. They were the ones who built the castle. Okay. Their son went off to war, lied about his age, took off, and he was actually, their son was on the Lusitania, the oh, first geez. ship that got, yeah, sunk in, in World War One. They uh, were heartbroken, of course. His, his name in the family was Boy, Boy Dunsmere, because he was the golden hope for the oh, family. Um, and Laura never believed he died. She honestly had herself convinced that some nice, you know, Irish couple had rescued him off the coast and taken him in. Oh, and wow. any day he would come home. And so as a result of that, she kept his room exactly as he'd left it. They used to, uh, Laura would wander the halls at night, um, kind of wandering around looking for him. And her husband, James, would sit in his study and he would put a record on over and over and over. And it was called, Where Is My Wandering Boy Tonight? Oh, my God. And um, it's still heard in the castle uh, playing, even though, of course, there's no record player or whatever. Um, and Laura, <clears throat> Laura made herself a lot more known when uh, the school turned into a military college because those upper floors, they used to uh, keep the students in there. So you've got 20-something guys and the ghost of a woman who believes her young son... I saw that movie. Is a stop it. Her young son is one day going to come home. Right. And so the students, if they were lucky, they would hear the door open. Right. Of their bedroom, because she would apparently open the ghost of her, would open the doors. And if they didn't hear it, she would walk over and she would pull the sheet down. The sheet would go Are down. Are you sure I haven't seen this movie? Stop it! <laughs> and then they would be jolted awake, and as soon as she saw it wasn't him, she would disappear. Right. Um, my personal experience on that third floor... Uh, that's actually where the maid jumped to her death. This actually happened. This, this actually happened. Bullshit thing. Laura and James had a maid who was having uh, a lovely love affair with a sailor from uh, Port Angeles across the right. water in, in the United States. And she became pregnant. She broke the news to him that she was pregnant. She said, now we are going to get married. And he's like, problem. I'm already married. Uh, and He was a sailor. What would you expect? <laughs> right. Every port. Uh, so, no, as a result, she could not handle the shame. This was the early 1900s. Right. And she leapt from the third story balcony and died oh, out on the patio below. Um, and that's the ghost that I have felt in there. And oh. she does not like guys, which makes sense. Yeah, no, um, fair enough. But no, she's definitely there. So you think it's a maid? I, I think it's a maid. I believe Laura is probably there, but the one I picked up on was the maid. And as far as the woods goes, absolutely something there. Powerfully there. See, I was And say, you and I have experienced that together. Oh, yeah. yeah. We, yeah we've, and we've talked about that place. I, you know, I honestly think, uh, I, I had a beer with Anthony uh, the other day. He was, we were talking about this project I'm working on, and his suggestion uh, was that there's some kind of elemental in this place. And yep. I kind of think maybe that's the issue with Royal Roads. Right. Because if it's everywhere in the woods, you know, as much as I, it's funny to imagine a bunch of, you know, fairy people kind of darting in and out of the trees. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's more likely to be a nature spirit than sort of individual hauntings. Right. Just because it, it's too hard to believe that, yeah, that there's all these separate things happening. Yeah. Because I know you could say, well, there was lots of people there and such and such, but I just, I'm... I'm not big on, I, I'm not a big fan of that theory. Yeah, I Be get it. Because it doesn't explain why certain places have that, but other places don't then. Right. You know, it kind of right. doesn't make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So next up is Lindsay in Florida, who sent us a bunch of stories for our dream episode. The mythical dream episode. There will be a dream episode. Uh-huh. In fact, we may have news on it soon. Sure, we will, Brennan. <laughs> uh, Lindsay's dreams are fascinating, and I wanted to keep the bulk of them for our definitely happening dream episode. Uh-huh. Uh, I thought we'd share one of them here because it reminded me of something I heard recently. 
So Lindsay says she's been having dreams about ghosts and demons for almost a decade, and among those dreams is a particularly vivid one in which a demon possessed her and forced her to drive to her parents' place with the intent of harming them. Oh my god. Yeah. Uh, Now, where I heard about this was on the podcast Mysterious Universe, specifically in the season opener they released for their Plus subscribers earlier this month. Uh, They were discussing the trilogy of books of this mysterious realm called Sleep. Okay. uh, Which is about a bunch of different parasomnias and their effects. Parasomnia is a sleep disorder, right? Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, One of these parasomnias is a thing called sleepwalking homicide, where, well, you get the idea. So people actually murder other people in their sleep. That's a contention. Jesus. Yeah, people seem to do two major things in their sleep uh, when it comes to other people. Murder them or or them. (laughs) Uh, Which I think nicely sums up the ambitions of the human race. Pretty much. Um, Now, of course, there are cases where this defense has been made in court, and, and despite what some people will tell you, it's not an easy defense to make. Uh, But the most famous case of a successful parasomnia defense uh, against a murder charge is actually from Canada. Oh, wow. In May 1987, a man named Kenneth Parks drove to his in-law's house and attacked them in their sleep. Oh, I remember this. He was from Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. Of course you remember. You were, what, 30 in 1987? (laughs) I was 15. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Anyways, Parks drove 14 miles to his in-law's house while he was asleep, let himself into the house with his key, went upstairs and... Brutally murdered both of them. I'm not going to get wow. into the details. Yeah, it, it was ugly stuff. Afterward, he went back downstairs, took the phone off the hook, then went back upstairs and stood outside the door of the two teenage daughters who also lived in the house. Yikes. Yeah, thankfully he didn't attack them. He ran back downstairs and out and then immediately drove to the police station where he confessed. The police said he was obviously distressed, shaking and covered in blood. Wow. And he didn't seem to be in any pain despite having cut tendons in both his hands. Jesus. Yeah. That's intense. Oh, it's it's... If you read the like the deta- the full details of, of what he did, yeah. it's savage. Wow. It's brutal, brutal stuff. I, I don't want to no. mention it here because it's bad enough we're making jokes now. Yeah. <laughs> According to an article I read that what he experienced was called disassociative analgesia. I, okay. think, I'm, I think I'm pronouncing that yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And it can happen during episodes of sleepwalking or after drug use or shock. Okay. Uh, so all of these are real possibilities. Um, but anyways, he was tried and acquitted because they ruled he was asleep at the time and not responsible for his actions. Wow. And there are a lot of mitigating factors here. I mean, there was gambling addiction, anxiety, right. past history of impulsive acts, right. and so on. So I, I'm not totally sold on the, the sleepwalking case. Um, but then, you know, I'm not a judge. And well, and he, he got the acquittal. He got the acquittal. Wow. So, yeah. I'm not inviting him for a sleepover anytime soon. <laughs> so, Lindsay... Brennan isn't saying you're going to murder anyone. Yeah, yeah, no, let's be clear. Yeah, I just, he, he just yeah. has too much time on his hands. Yeah, 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 no, no, I, that's not what I was getting at. It just, your dream reminded me of this, yeah, no, you're not going to kill him. I'm sure that's comforting for her. Yeah. I'm oh, sure. your dream reminded me of this murderer. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, according to Parks' own testimony, he, he didn't remember any of the drive, even as a dream. So, mm-hmm. yeah, very different. To yeah. you, Lindsay. Yeah. Um, but I was reading your email again after listening to that episode of MU and it, it all kind of came together. If anyone is interested in the particulars of the Parks case, I'm going to post a fairly detailed Psychology Today article in the show notes. Nice. Uh, yeah, so you can read it there. Yeah. Uh, thank you again, Lindsay. We're going to share the rest of your stories in that dream episode. Next up, we have some stories from Kevin. Wait, I almost forgot something. What's that? Uh, Lindsay asked, how in the world has there been no mention of Rebel Stoke's own whiskey brand? She saw it at Total Wine and thought of us. Oh, cool. Yeah. And, well, Lindsay, uh, that whiskey is a funny little story. It's it's not actually distilled in Rebel Stoke. Oh. It's made in Alberta, uh, several, which is several hours to the east. <laughs> Why would they call it Rebel? Because Kokanee was taken? They, I, <laughs> I honestly don't, I don't know. Weird. 
Yeah, we, we, Revelstoke has nothing to do with any of the manufacturing or development. And I'm a little embarrassed to say I, I actually don't think I've tried it. Mm, I haven't even heard of it. Uh, don't tell anyone, but I'm not a big fan of Canadian whiskey. <gasps> yeah, I know. Uh, but that said, I do have yeah a funny story about me and Revelstoke whiskey. Okay. So it first came out in 2000, and my heyday of drinking started around 2001, 2002, uh, when the marketing campaign was still in full swing. And sometime around then, and for maybe a year or so, the bar where we used to party had Revelstoke whiskey advertisements in the urinals. Like inside the urinals. Yes. Gross. It was at the bottom too, where the urinal cake is. <laughs> and so we all got a good chuckle out of finally being able to piss on Revelstoke. <laughs> Classy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was young and dumb. You still think it's funny, don't you? Oh, yeah. I'm just older and dumb. <laughs> yeah, nothing's changed. Yeah, no. Okay. Anyway, as I was saying, this next story comes from Cabin in Nova Scotia. He said he found us when one of his friends shared one of our Facebook posts. Hello, proof that it works. Keep sharing the Facebook <laughs> yes, posts. exactly. The first story comes from when he was four or five. His mother passed when he was three, and his father didn't remarry until Kevin was six. So with his two older sisters grown and moved out, Kevin and his father were alone in the house. One night, Kevin woke up in terror, not from a nightmare, just with a generalized sense of fear. He looked out his bedroom door and saw his father's silhouette, which almost instantly calmed him down. He called out to him saying, Dad, is that you? But as he did, he heard his father snoring in the room next to him. And as soon as he heard the snoring, the silhouette faded. Wow, that, that did not go in the direction I expected. Right. Uh, and, and that's exactly what I said. He said he never saw that particular thing again, but it wasn't the last paranormal experience he had in the house. Okay. The next thing happened either shortly after or maybe even before, he's not sure, but what he what he was doing was riding his tricycle around the kitchen when his father had to go down into the basement for something. Kevin doesn't know why he did it, but he rode the trike too close to the basement door and it ended, ended up falling down the stairs with it. Eesh. The, kid, the shit kids survive, man. I know. I'd be in traction for months if I fell down the stairs. <laughs> I'd probably be in a wheelchair, but <laughs> Kevin was a kid, and hey, kids bounce. Yeah. He says for years after that incident, though, he felt like he could see his mother at the bottom of the stairs, out of the corner of his eye, watching to make sure he didn't fall down again. Again, that's not the direction I expected it to go. I, yeah. I wonder if he thinks the thing in the hallway was his mother, too. He didn't say, but I was kind of thinking that as well. It's, it's kind of a nice thought, actually. Yeah, it is. I, I mean, it's also kind of funny to imagine that there's some shadow person in there who's really, really shit at scaring people. <laughs> and managed to wake him up in terror, but then panicked and chose exactly the one form that would comfort him <laughs> rather than scare him. <laughs> he just walks around the house all day, self-talking himself, like, damn it, Gene, you're better than this. <laughs> Anyways, tell me more about Kevin. All right, more Kevin's stories. He said that things are quiet after that until he moved in with his girlfriend. They moved into her grandmother's house to look after it, as the grandmother had been moved into a nursing home following the stroke. Kevin's girlfriend said she was told there were three spirits living in the house, but she'd never spent enough time there to know one way or another. Prior to moving in, the two spent some time cleaning up the house, making room for their things, and they listened to the radio while they did it. I hope they were listening to Largely the Truth with Brett and Store, Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Pacific on 92.5 Stoke FM or via the web at stokefm.com. You are pathetic. Please continue. One night, they were headed to their car after a night of cleaning when Kevin's girlfriend remembered she'd left her phone in the house, so she went back in. Prior to leaving, they'd done all the things you do when you leave a place. Turned the lights and the radio off, locked up, all that. But when they walked back in, the radio 
was on again. Mm. Kevin knows it had been off because he turned it off himself. Yikes. Yeah. After that, they left the radio on 24 hours a day to make sure whatever was in there was happy. I hope they were also listening to Larger the Truth with Brendan Store Wednesdays at 8 p.m. on 92.5 Stoke FM or via the web at stokefm.com. <laughs> the only people who are listening are ghosts. And reading a strange little place uh, wherever where fine books are sold. Oh, God. For at least another three months. <laughs> Buy the Kindle version. I make more money. <laughs> God, help me. <laughs> Moving on, because I am classier than you are, the last of Kevin's experiences happened not too long ago, apparently when they were getting ready to move out of the grandmother's house. One morning after his alarm woke him, Kevin was lying there with the radio playing, don't say it, trying to get up the enthusiasm to start his day. Unbeknownst to him, a heavy snow- Wednesday's at 8 p.m. Heavy snow. You know, you're being very disrespectful to Kevin. Unbeknownst I'm to sorry, him, Kevin. I'm trying to f*** with Ian. <laughs> Unbeknownst to him, a heavy snow had been falling all night, and somewhere out in the world, a power line broke, and Kevin's house went dark. Then a minute or two later, his girlfriend's radio comes on playing music, even though the power was out. You know, sometimes those little be- uh, bedside clocks have battery backups. I remember we used to sell a ton of those at Radio Shack back in the day. Yeah, well, not this one. Apparently, there was no battery in it. And I don't think they ever ran the radio. Did they? The battery backup is strictly to hold on to your alarm, I think. Oh, you know, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah all right. Yeah. So what did they do? Well, they laughed. So they told whatever turned on the radio not to blame them for it being off. And then they got <laughs> up to shovel snow. That is the most Canadian ending to a story I've ever heard. <laughs> sure, there are ghosts, big whoop. Now we got to dig out the car. Car, eh? And yeah. then uh, come back in for some maple syrup. I'd go to Tim Hortons, but uh, they're sons of bitches. <laughs> and they don't respect labor laws. I'm going to have bacon, not Canadian bacon, yeah. regular bacon. I don't like their sandwich. I don't like anything <clears throat> at Tim Hortons, really. Their biscuit sausage egg cheese thing? Yeah. Oh, my God. I love it. Well, fair enough. I, do I love it as much as Red Lobster? No, I do not. Oh, Speaking of breakfast, I went to Frank's again the other day. Yeah. Man, I love that place. Oh, nice. Oh, good. it's so good. Ten bucks, omelet, toast, uh, potatoes. You just get it's it just all. It's just great, yeah. Good. I, I, it's funny, though, because, you know, I, I sleep late because I go to bed late. Yeah. And so I always get there after they've technically stopped serving breakfast. <laughs> and Henry, the guy who owns the place, he, he cooks, he, he always sees me coming in and he sags a little bit because- you know, usually lunch, basically, he sells Chinese food. Right. So normally, yeah, just us big heifer white guys come in and he just schleps on, you know, and it's good Chinese food. Don't get me yeah, wrong. Yeah. Nothing against Henry. He's a good but guy. That's a honeybee. Yeah. Oh, you said Frankie's. Oh, Frank's. Frank. Frank's honey bun. Oh, I didn't know the Frank's was on top of that. I oh, was yeah. Honey- oh. Yeah, Frank's honey I bun. I love their breakfast. Oh, it's great. It's amazing. Oh, good stuff. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so anyways, whenever I go in there, he tag- he's, he never lets on. He's always very, yeah. very, very, very friendly. But but he's like, God damn it, it's three o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> Why can't this white guy get out of bed? <laughs> oh, God. Here to snuffle up his eggs and toast. <laughs> maybe, maybe he'll offer you a wake-up call at some point. You know, I could call you. <laughs> That's right. This come before the sun starts to set. Yes. Yeah, we close at four. You make me sad. <laughs> <laughs> My wife hugs me for 20 minutes after every time you leave. <laughs> but anyways, yeah. So, no, he's always good, though. Always That's good. awesome. Yeah, if you're in Victoria, or if you're visiting Victoria, Frank's, Frank's Honey Bun Cafe on Yates Street. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. My office is nearby, so you want to buy me a coffee, you can. <laughs> or breakfast if it's past noon. <laughs> Anyways, we should get back to Kevin's uh, to thanking Kevin. Yeah, and and thank you for sending these in, Kevin. They were awesome. Uh, he says his only complaint is that he has to wait two weeks between episodes now that he's caught up with the archive. We're working on it, Kevin. <laughs> I promise. That's right. Vague nebulous vague promises, promises of right. perhaps more. 
Uh, next up is a set of stories from Alexa, who, of course, I met just before Christmas. Right. Uh, she lives in the Seattle area, and when her and her husband first started living together, he liked to take early morning walks at Green Lake Park. It's a quiet walking trail in the Green Lake neighborhood, and for all intents and purposes, appears to be a quite a lovely place. But Alexa always felt that the place had a dark energy to it, even mm. on sunny days. Oh, wow. There was one area in particular, a small stand of poplar trees, that always activated her fight-or-flight response. And it wasn't until a couple years ago she finally figured out why. That particular spot is called Gaines Point because on July 17th, 1926, the body of 22-year-old Sylvia Gaines was discovered there by a carpenter on his way to work. She'd been murdered by her father and dumped there. Her father? Why would he do that? That's weird. I guarantee you, you are about to regret asking that. <laughs> oh, God, no. Oh, no, yes. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, it turns out Sylvia's father had not been in her life since she was five, and so she moved across the country to reconnect with him. He had remarried and settled in the Seattle area, but it's suspected that after Sylvia arrived, they renewed their relationship in, shall we say, an unexpectedly intimate way. Ugh, gross. <laughs> yeah. I, I've heard about this happening, though, with adoptive kids finding their, their um, natural siblings or natural parents. It's a, a term called genetic familiarity, and people are inexplicably sexually drawn to their, yeah. That's yeah. horrifying. I know, but it's all about something to do with the biology. But Biology's yeah. f***ing gross. I know, I know, I know. It's creepy and weird. Oh, man. Anyways, it's believed that at some point Sylvia came to that realization herself <laughs> and decided to hit the bricks, and that's when her father killed her in order to cover up the nature of their relationship. And how do they know that? Did he admit it? I honestly don't know. He apparently confessed the crime to a friend, but I don't know how much he confessed. Uh, but at the trial, a Seattle policeman testified to having seen the two parked at a popular Lover's Lane type spot in her father's car. Okay. And like I said, Lover's Lanes, people watch those yeah, places. Yeah, I know. Go yeah, do yeah. your thing in the yeah. woods. Oh, uh, yeah, thank you for that pro tip. Gross. Yeah. And uh, a hotel employee claims to have once walked into them sharing a bed. Whoa. Yeah, none of that's a good look. No, none of that I am okay with. That is pretty unbelievable. I mean, I wonder how he knew they were father and daughter. Maybe he found out later. Yeah. I don't want to yeah. explore this any yeah. further. No, that's not. Um, thankfully, that that's the worst of it. Um, this next story has zero uncomfortable sexual content and allows us to laugh at a nerd. So, Well, I'm pretty sure you will bring in some uncomfortable sexual content <laughs> as you do in most situations, but let's go with it. Uh, so in 2007, Alexa was on a date with what she describes as some tech nerd. <laughs> it was obviously a meaningful relationship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you made an impression. Yeah. Uh, at the Harvard Exit Theater in Seattle's Capitol Hill neighborhood. Uh, the building itself was originally the Woman's Century Club and is apparently known to be haunted, though Alexa she didn't know that at the time. Hmm. I guess her interest in the paranormal didn't really blossom until 2010-ish. Right. Uh, the lobby of the theater is where the old sitting room of the club was, with wing-back chairs and a fireplace. Alexa had her back to her date. She thinks he may have been getting tickets at the time. Right. When she looked toward a doorway where she saw what appeared to be a woman hanging by her neck from some kind of rope or cord. Yikes. Yeah. It didn't last, and she went on with her date, though she describes it as awful, so the hanging ghost may have been the high point. <laughs> and apparently a female spirit or ghost or apparition or whatever has been seen there, but not quite like what she saw. Uh, her suggestion for what may have been, though, is though, so good, I'm just going to read her words. Okay. Maybe what I saw was just a message from a sister in arms trying to help a girl out and warning her to dump the jerk or she'd end up hanging herself. <laughs> that seems a bit extreme. <laughs> uh, Alexa's third story comes from December 2015 when she was on a ghost tour of Pike Place Market with her husband and father. Um, when it happened, they were standing outside the old ER Butterworth building on the First Avenue side. The Butterworth block is on the ghost tour because it was the site of the first funeral home in the city. Right. 
which is still operating today, although in a, in a different location in the Capitol Hill neighborhood. Alexis says that her father worked only a few doors down from that new spot in the 90s and early 2000s. And on cremation days, there was a lovely thick gray smoke that came out of the chimney. Oh, gross. Yeah. Is lovely the right word? Her words, not mine. Oh, my. I'd, I'd argue it could be lovely. Horrible <laughs> things can be pretty. I think we both know this from experience. Yeah, good point. Uh, before we get to Alexis' story, I found this little bit of information about Butterworths. Apparently, back around the turn of the century, it was caught up in a scandal surrounding one of America's first female serial killers. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, In 1908, a woman named Linda Hazard arrived in Washington State, settling across Puget Sound from Seattle in a little town called Olala. Uh, Because of a loophole in Washington State's medical licensing laws that allowed for alternative practitioners, yeah, she was able to be licensed as a doctor, specifically a fasting specialist. Excellent. Despite having almost no medical experience. Um, That doesn't really sound like a real thing. No, it's not. No. Uh, Or if by some blind miracle it is, she is not one of them. (laughs) Her method was basically starve the hell out of people and give them vigorous massages that were described as being more like beatings. Oh, not good. Yeah. Oh, and hours long enemas. Hours long. Hours long. That cannot be right. There were canvas supports in the tub for when the ladies inevitably fainted. Because, yes, Virginia, you can have too much of a good thing. (laughs) And the results of all this, quote unquote, verified science? Death. Yeah, pretty much. People returned to near skeletons in weeks and eventually started dying. Uh, I'll post a link in the show notes for people who want the whole story, but basically, yeah, these people started dying, often after signing their estates or power of authority over to Hazard. Oh, what a weird coincidence. coincidence. Yeah, you saw that one coming. And these were young people, some of them, some of them in their 30s. Oh, wow. Uh, what brought the whole thing crashing down like Samson in the temple was when the two heiresses, Claire and Dorothy Williamson, saw an ad for Hazard's treatments while on vacation here in Victoria. Uh, Claire would eventually die, and Dorothy's freedom essentially had to be bought by her family. Jesus. Yeah, but that's finally what brought the hammer down on Hazard. Uh, where Butterworth comes into this is that there was allegations they colluded with Hazard and switched out Claire's corpse with that of another wor- another girl who hadn't wasted away. Right. And Claire's childhood nurse was the one who ended up attempting to identify the body, and she said it looked all wrong. She said the hands, facial shape, and hair color didn't match up. Well, she would know as the family nurse. Right? Yeah, that's it. Uh, it was never proven. None of the rumors about Butterworths ever were, uh, to be clear. Right. Because they're pretty unhappy about this. Yeah. Um, but it put the company under a cloud, and that brings us to 2015 and Alexa's story. Okay. So apparently the spot is a dead zone for businesses. Many have tried to um, thrive over the years, and a lot of them restaurants, but none of them have made it. Hmm. She says employees would quit at the drop of a hat. One chef even left in the middle of a dinner service because pots and pans flew off the shelf at him. Fair enough. Yeah, and I mean, that could have ended with straight murder, given how tense most restaurant kitchens <laughs> yeah, could be. definitely. Um, at the time of her tour, Alexa believes this side of the building had been vacant for about two years. She says, as soon as she approached the entrance of the vacant space, she got a feeling you and I have talked about, which is similar to the one you get approaching a house where a party's taking place. Right. We talked about this in episode 23, I think, when I got back from Minnesota. Right, I remember. So she felt that as she was approaching the building? Yeah. After the guide finished her story, Alexa stayed behind and took photos through the oval window of a door next to the main entrance. Right. Uh, Through the door was a staircase that goes upstairs to office space. She took the photos with no flash, no one standing behind her, and the stairwell ahead was totally dark with no one in it. She shared physical copies of those photos, um, which she brought when we had coffee and and we have here now. Uh, This doesn't help our audience, of course, but um, what do you think? Well, I see a light in some of them that isn't in some of the others. Yeah, that's it. I I couldn't decide whether or not it was a light because it's higher than the streetlights. Right. So I couldn't figure out if it was because the streetlight was my first thought. Right. But then I couldn't figure out maybe it was a light upstairs, but in the building behind her. 
Yeah. But at the same time, I'm, I'm not sure because it doesn't seem to be immediately out of window. So it's it's hard to say. And I think that's the issue with all photographic evidence. I'm pretty terrible with photographs anyway. Like, I really think you can- It's true. You look horrible in you photographs. Can, <laughs> <laughs> you can sometimes see things in there that aren't there or vice versa. Yeah. I miss things. People are like, don't you see it? And I'm like, no. <laughs> right. This next set of stories comes from Winter, and we're going to let her words speak for themselves for reasons that will become clear. I love your podcast. It's one of my favorites. I thought I'd share a couple stories from my childhood. The first story is from the house I grew up in. There's a bit of a backstory first to set up the ghostly part. My parents divorced when I was young, so after my mother remarried and had a baby, they decided it was time to get a bigger house. They already owned a plot of land, but for whatever reason decided to buy a 100-year-old farmhouse and move it 60 miles. I always felt like there was something, or more likely someone, in that house, but no one else did. I didn't have any proof or experience or anything for a really long time. It was just a feeling I had until one night in my early teens. I used to collect these carousel carousel horses that play music when you wind them up, and they were on top of my armoire, which I couldn't reach. I had about seven or eight that I never wound up. They were just decorations. One night, I was sleeping, and all of a sudden, my carousel horses started going off simultaneously. They played for about 10 seconds, and then I'll stop. It surprised me. At the time, it was pretty scary, but I just kind of put it out of my mind. Then a few weeks later, I was dusting the top shelves of the built-in cabinets in our living room when it happened again, exactly the same as before. The only difference was that I was standing on top of the cabinets and almost fell off of them. It scared the bejesus out of me, but I didn't really feel threatened by him. I just felt like it was a man. So I politely told him I didn't mind if he was around, but asked him not to do the carousel thing again because it startled me, and I almost fell off the cabinet and could have been hurt. It never happened again, and I never had any more direct contact with him, but I still felt like he was there. I told my family about both experiences when they happened, but they just made fun of me and said I was full of shit. Then after I moved, they did some construction and knocked a wall down where the fireplace was, and suddenly they started hearing heavy footsteps at night. Eventually, they decided to sell the house to get away from it, and the new owners contacted my mother to see if they heard footsteps at night. She told them no, (laughs) but they believed me after that. Side note, my family sucks. My parents, mother, and stepdad are abusive assholes, and I think that's why they had less positive experiences with him. The other experience was at my dad's house. He bought the house when I was 11 or so, and I refused to sleep in the bedroom he set up for me. That room terrified me. It felt like something malevolent was in there watching me, and it felt predatory. I thought it refused to go in there at night. I made him move my bed in the dining room, and I slept there. No one else seemed to feel it, but I was appalled when they turned it into a nursery for my brother. There's 20 years between us. I'm pretty sure he's going to be a serial killer. It's to the point that I won't let my daughter, six, spend the night when they visit, because he, he's 13, gives me major creeper vibes, and I don't trust him near my kid. I was abused, and I won't take a chance on my daughter having to go through the same. I've always wondered if something bad happened in that room, because the rest of the house was fine. Sorry this ended up being so long. Thanks for the podcast. It makes the hour of drudgery at work bearable. Uh, First off, let me say thank you for the email because knowing people like yourself are enjoying the show makes what can be the drudgery of putting it together worth it. Yes. And thanks for trusting us with your story too. For sure. Uh, Your interaction with whatever was in that house actually sounds like one of the more positive and respectful ones we've heard. Yeah, uh, definitely. Sometimes you hear stories about people who speak to a presence the way you did and it doesn't take. So it's nice to hear stories where it does. As for the presence in your stepbrother's room, I'm not sure about that, but it sure doesn't sound good. No, no. I, I wrote back to Winter, and I just said, trust your instincts, yeah, you know? Yeah, I mean, maybe the kid will grow up to be totally fine, but that doesn't mean her daughter wouldn't be in some form of danger. Yeah. 
Uh, lately, you know, I've been thinking more and more about how these things affect us. And while we've heard stories about non-physical entities directly interacting with the physical world, sometimes good, sometimes bad, it seems like the worst of it is saved for psychological damage. They just get in your head and influence your state of mind, which can lead to bad decisions. Yeah. Uh, we talked a few episodes ago about that major meltdown I sometimes get if I spend too much time here in the office after dark. Yeah. I love working in the studio, but the building really has an effect on my state of mind. Well, it makes me uncomfortable to say this, but I agree <laughs> with Brennan. Um, Winter, trust your instincts, and, and thank you for sharing this with us. But never apologize for an email being long. That no, goes no, no. for anyone. We really do love hearing from you guys, and longer emails are just as welcome as shorter ones. Moving on, we do have more stories from you, but first... A word from our sponsors. I love saying that. <laughs> it's me again. Ian's not here, so I could technically talk trash about him, but he dresses better than I do and he has a full head of hair, so I really don't have a leg to stand on here. Instead, I'm going to talk about our sponsor, Studio Headphones. Studio wants to revolutionize the way people see headphones, not just as a tech device, but also as an accessory. Fashionable headphones tend to lack the proper sound quality, and high-tech variations are bulky and not design-oriented. They want to bridge that gap. They also provide free worldwide shipping. And as someone who just spent $60 to have chocolates without dairy shipped to him, I am particularly interested in that feature. Listeners of our show can go to their website, Studio Sweden, that's S-U-D-I-O, Sweden.com, and enter the promo code GHOSTSTORYGUYS for 15% off their purchase. That's StudioSweden.com. Enter the promo code GHOSTSTORYGUYS for 15% off your purchase. And we're back. So the first story we have is from Melanie, who sent us uh, a, the lovely story that may have affected me on an emotional level to a certain degree. Uh-huh. Uh, so she is, this, her story is about her pet, uh, her pet Fozzie. And he was an exceptionally adorable tuxedo cat who was with her for 16 years, saw her through her first relationship, her uh-huh. first major breakup. They moved across time zones together, and she tackled milestones like marriage and in grad school. She said he was her loving and supportive companion when she moved from Canada to the U.S. with her then-husband, and then later when she fled back to Canada without her husband to save her life. Right. And through all of this, Fozzie never placed any demands on her besides a full food dish and fresh water and somewhere warm and soft to sleep. Nice. And if she was lying on her side, he liked sleeping by her ankles. She remembers sometimes he would jump up to the foot of the bed and march around her feet until he found his optimal sleeping position (laughs) and then just flop over. And she was lying on her back. He'd walk up the length of her body, then lie down on her chest and just purr into her face as she (laughs) pet him, I know. (laughs) And sometimes she was already asleep when he did this and those times she'd wake up with his whiskers tickling her nose. (laughs) Uh, She said it always hurt like hell when he walked up her body. He was was a heavy little cat and he was always on two paws at a time. Nice, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Fozzie eventually passed at 16 years in 2012. And she remembers coming home from a shift around midnight and she didn't hear him and he was gone. Mm. Um, yeah, it sucks. Um, you going to be okay there? Yeah, shut up. <laughs> uh, she moved shortly after and she went through some stress in her life. And, you know, she had no family near her. Right. Cell service was intermittent and just no will. Uh, to reach out for help and there's just no, you know, she missed, she missed Fozzie. Yeah. And then the, she started to feel little soft marching cat steps around her ankle sometimes. Oh, wow. And of course it didn't make any sense. So she noticed them, but she ignored them. And then the last week of, in the last week of her breakdown, she was lying on her back in bed wondering why she kept trying hard at, why she kept trying at all. Yeah. And we've, we've, we've all been there. Yeah. But she felt the bed shift a little, like something had jumped up onto it. 
She felt soft marching around her ankles. And then the painful footsteps all the way up her body. Wow. And she remembers wondering if he could lie down on her chest the way he used to when he was alive. But instead, she felt him continue walking. She, his right front, she said normally his right front paw would have stopped under her left clavicle as, right. she, as, she, as he lay down. Instead, she felt his right paw hit beneath her clavicle. Then he continued walking until his right hind leg hit the same spot. And it's like he just walked through the bedroom wall behind her head. Wow. Yeah. She was stunned for a while, maybe a day or so. And she just decided that if Fozzie had paid her a visit, it was for a reason and she'd better respect that. Right. And she pulled herself back to something resembling a normal life and she hasn't stopped. That's amazing. Yeah. And I guess he hasn't been back since then, but you know, she still remembers that time and how he, how he saved her. I love stories like that. I, I've heard stories like that from other people from about cats and dogs Yeah, and how, um, they kind of catch them out of the corner of their eye or they he'll hear them walking across the floor or again, that cats mostly with the climbing up in yeah. bed and, and snuggling up. So that's awesome. Uh, I, we really, we really don't have a full appreciation of how much energy our cats give us and our dogs give us yeah. until it's gone. Oh yeah. But then sometimes they come back. I, uh, I remember a friend of mine used to live in Calgary and he went home to visit his dad one time and their cat, I guess, used to pluck at the screen door when it wanted to come in. Right. And the cat passed. Right. And then one day, this guy was at home with his dad, and this, he was guy who's grown at this point. His dad was, you know, getting on. They were just sitting there in the living room, and he hears this plink, plink, plink at the door. And he goes, oh, did you get a new cat? And his dad says, nope. He's like, what? Okay. Plink, plink, plink. And his dad just got up, walked over to the door, opened the door, pushed open the screen. There was nothing there. Closed it. He said, every day, same time. Wow. Just, he said, if I don't open it, it doesn't stop. So, oh my God. Yeah. That's crazy. Cause usually they show up for, you know, a couple of weeks or a month or something, but this cat just kept coming. Just kept coming back. Wow. <laughs> stubborn son of a bitch. That's amazing. Yeah. That was That's a great really story, cool. Melanie. Yeah. Again, thank you very much. Yeah. This next story is from Luke. Yeah. So Luke's story comes from his teenage years when he was living at home. One night, his mother woke up in terrible kidney pain. Uh, one minute she was fine, the next she was being taken to a hospital in an oh, ambulance. Oh, been there. Oh, yeah? Oh, well, kidney stones are the worst. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, I mean, thankfully, this turned out to be painful, but not life-threatening. Yeah. And she was given some painkillers in a bed for the night to ride out the worst of it. By this point, it was somewhere between 2 and 5 a.m. Prime time. Prime time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the bed Luke's mother had been given was in a large, mostly empty ward. She was out of it on painkillers, and there was no one around. The few nurses on staff at the time were some distance away. So Luke was sitting on the floor with his back to a partition that had no one behind it when he felt the hand gently claw its way down his back. Just a slight scratching of the fingertips from the middle of his spine slowly down to the base. Oh, that is so not okay. No. No. And Luke says he was too tired to do much of anything about it, so his, as he puts it, he got to enjoy the full ghostly back scratch. <laughs> wow, that's... Awesome. Was his mom okay? Yeah, she was. It was a bad reaction to ibuprofen, I guess. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he says the hand on his back colored how he approaches paranormal stories. Because if you've if you primed yourself with scary stories when you go into a place, right. you're going to happen. Something's yeah. going to happen. Your yeah. imagination's just going to go crazy. Yeah. Uh, he says he does that a lot, actually. And he dangled a story about a coffee hallucination, but he didn't actually tell it. So we're going to have to try and get that out of him. You can hallucinate from too much coffee? Well, based on what I've seen of Luke's sleep habits so far, I have to assume there was some deprivation in there, too. <laughs> uh, one night, he was still returning my messages at something like 5 a.m. his time. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he's worse than you, and that's saying something. Yeah. 
Uh, the other half to his philosophy of these experiences is that if you're not expecting it, when you have those little moments of oddness that puts your hair on end but don't last long enough to be afraid, those are the ones you should keep track of. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. So thank you for sending that in, Luke. Yeah, and thanks for all the research. That goes without saying yeah. that. The poor bastard has no idea what he's getting into. <laughs> Next up is Wendy, who visited the Winchester Mystery House in San Jose, California, and had a couple of encounters she wanted to share. Wendy brought this up because over on the Facebook page, Brenda and I were complaining about an upcoming horror movie about Sarah Winchester, who was the house's owner and the one responsible for it being a so-called mystery. We might talk about this more in a later episode, but the gist of it is that Sarah Winchester was the widow of William Winchester, whose father, Oliver Winchester, started the Winchester Repeating Arms Company. Oliver and his son both died within four months of each other in 1880 and 1881. So William's wife, Sarah, became the heir to their fortune. The legend goes that Sarah was haunted by the ghosts of those who had lost their lives to Winchester rifles and had moved from Connecticut, where the company started, to California at the suggestion of a psychic. The same psychic had also told her she needed to build a home for these spirits and should, con- and should construction of the home ever stop, they would take her. Do you think the psychic was possibly related to someone in the building trade? <laughs> yeah, it makes you wonder, right? <laughs> well, the whole thing is, is, of course, bullshit. I mean, yeah. the podcast 99% Invisible uh, did a fantastic episode where they broke down this legend. And, and we're not going to get into the weeds of it here, but the gist is that Sarah was an amateur architect uh, and interior designer nice. Yeah, in a time when that role wasn't available to women. So she used right. her fortune to experiment. Good for her. Yeah, and and that's it. I mean, you might not say it doesn't make for a good story, but you're wrong for two <laughs> reasons. Uh, one, there's enough weird shit in the world we don't need to make stuff up. Mm-hmm. Two, it, it is a great story. Yeah. So, someone with passion and who had the free time and means to indulge that passion, a constructive passion, I might add, not ripping lines in nightclub bathrooms, <laughs> is the best kind of story because it means there's a chance for the rest of us schmucks to do the same. Well, I mean, the money did come from gun sales that hurt a lot of people. Don't ruin this for me. (laughs) Anyways, uh, despite the legend being bunk, there are still apparently some spirits on site. According to Wendy, though, she doesn't believe they're malicious. Wendy visited the Winchester Mansion, I refuse to call it the Mystery House anymore, and with her husband, and they spent quite a few hours there over the course of multiple visits. The first night, they got there too late for tours, so they spent some time on the grounds and in the gift shop. The place was closing soon, so there weren't that many people around. Attached to the gift shop was a small cafe with a few tables and a big set of closed double doors at the back. Wendy says she's a bit nosy, woman after my own heart, (laughs) so she went to the doors and opened one just enough to peek inside. Inside, the lights were off, but she could make out a banquet room with tables and chairs. She closed the door and walked to her right, where her husband was standing just to the side of the doors, looking at an old poster on the wall. She told him about the empty banquet room, and a moment later, there were three loud, distinct knocks right next to her head on the other side of the banquet room door. They looked at each other. They'd both heard it. So she went back to the door, opened it, and leaned through. The room was still dark, still empty. She went outside to the only other entrance, and it was locked. During another visit, Wendy was sitting on a bench outside the house after a tour and waiting for a second expanded tour. Her husband was walking around taking pictures. At one point, she was admiring the stained glass of what's known as the Daisy Room. When she saw through the window, a door in the room opened slowly by itself. It was a glass door, and beyond it, there was no one there, just a darkened room. So for a moment, she was willing to believe a breeze had maybe blown the door open. Which would be my first thought. I mean, did she say how wide open it was? Almost all the way. But then after 10 seconds, it closed itself again. Okay, so so much for the wind. So much for the wind. She called her husband over and explained what she'd seen. 
Through other windows, they could both plainly see the tour group currently in the house, and they hadn't yet been near the Daisy Room. So on their next door, Wendy and her husband, whose name is James, I don't know why I haven't mentioned that yet. Hi, James. So Wendy and James decided to pay more attention to the Daisy Room on their next tour. When they got there, Wendy saw that the area in which the door had opened was roped off and not open to the public. They told the guide what they'd seen, and he shrugged, smiled, and said, that's just the kind of thing that happens here. I bet he looks so smug when he said <laughs> They always do, don't that's, they? I guess that's just what happens That's here. just what happens here. <laughs> Her final... Why are you hitting me? Stop hitting me with that stick, sir. <laughs> it hurts a great deal. Now, please, exit through the gift shop. Her final experience with the house was something she felt rather than something she saw or heard. Wendy and James were among some of the first to tour newly opened areas of the house, including the basement. When they got to the stairs that led down, the tour guide asked for a volunteer, and Wendy, who, like a lot of our listeners, is braver than us, went for it. Admittedly, it, it doesn't take much. <laughs> the basement was, surprise, dark and damp, and the guide explained how this was one of the house's paranormal hotspots. As they moved to the basement, Wendy had the only neg- negative experience of her entire visit to the Winchester house. For no reason she could figure out, she steadily became more and more agitated. The feeling she got was that there was something walking behind the group, watching them. She tried to catch a glimpse of whatever it was and never saw anything. But by the time the group was done in the basement, her heart was pounding and her palms were sweaty. She was about to ready to run from the room. Uh, the, <clears throat> excuse me, that happened to me once. Yeah? Yeah, I was heading off for a drive one night, and I realized I'd forgotten my phone, so I just nipped back into the apartment, uh, left the door open. Right. So the door was out of my sight for maybe 10 seconds, maybe. But as I left the apartment again, I was certain someone had followed me in. Oh, wow. And uh, so the way a lot of the apartments are structured here... The kitchen is separated from the living room by a narrow wall that only extends the length of the kitchen. And sometimes at our place, this is a little embarrassing, uh, if one of us is at the kitchen and the other one's in the living room, it's happened that we'll both go to find each other at the same time. <laughs> and so we end up doing this sort of Bugs Bunny-esque thing where we we can't see each other because we're kind of chasing each other <laughs> around the wall. And usually one of us has to stop and go, okay, I'm coming to you. Right. And, and it's sad. And no time do you ever say reverse and then we go back the other way. No. No. Okay. No. You're weird. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that night in our old place, even though I knew no one could have come in behind me, I was certain I could see them if I could just come around the wall fast enough. Right. Yeah, I get that. So what did you do? Well, eventually I convinced myself I was being crazy and went for the drive, but I got maybe half a block away before I had to turn around and go home. Hmm. I just couldn't leave Nick there alone. Something about that just bothered me. So I'm wow. right there with you, Wendy. She says they did a second tour of the basement, and it was fine then. So maybe whatever it was had passed by then. Did that ever happen back in your place? Uh, not like that, no. There were other things. I know one time I was out of town. Nick got up to use the bathroom one night, and she saw Shadow walk past the bathroom door on the other side. Oh, not cool. Not cool. No. No. Especially and not when you're home alone. That's it, yeah. And, of course, you know, the door was still double locked when she got out. Everything was fine, but... She saw something move past. That's this when is, you stay up the rest of the night with the lamp on. Yeah, exactly. Pretty and, much. And yeah. this is before we had cats, so it was a, Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was- Not no cool. Not cool. I'm going to read the rest of her email as she sent it, Wendy, go, go, not, not Nick. Yeah, I figure. Go yeah. for it. I want to finish my story by saying how much I love that house. I feel drawn to it. And in my experience, there's absolutely nothing there that would stop me from going again and again. I believe the house was never haunted when Sarah lived there, and the spirits that reside there now are simply people who lived or worked there and loved the house and Sarah. Don't let the stories the media tells you fool you. Sarah Winchester was a genius, and was so ahead of her time, she came across as crazy and unstable, but she wasn't either of those things. Thank you, Wendy. That was awesome. Yeah, yeah. 
And so our final listener story tonight comes from Emma in the UK. It was the summer of 1983 in a remote village in Suffolk, and Emma had just celebrated her second birthday. She awoke in the evening with a heaviness in her chest and a painful throbbing in her throat. She got up and went downstairs to the lounge where her parents were, hoping that a drink would make the feeling pass. She remembers walking into the lounge, then darkness. Then she remembers looking down at herself, laying on the sofa. Wrapped in a, uh, she's wrapped in a tartan blanket. Oh, wow. Yeah, her mother was digging through her purse looking for change for the nearest payphone. Then she ran out of the room. Whoa. Emma remembers hearing a click. Then she watched from above as her father sat with her on the sofa. And then a few minutes later, she looked down and she noticed her body that was down there was turning gray-blue. Not good. No, and her breathing had become what she describes as something between a rattle and a rasping noise. Yikes. She remembers the TV blaring and her father gently shaking her, then pacing the floor with her now limp body in his arms, trying to get a response. She remembers looking around the room, thinking how odd things looked at this angle and whether or not this was how grown-ups saw the world. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, sometime later, her mother arrived back and was soon followed by a gray-haired stranger dressed in a green tweed jacket and carrying a large black bag. He's a doctor. Yeah. Um, and he examined Emma while her parents looked on. Injections were given, and then the doctor took a small oxygen cylinder from his bag, put a green mask on it, and placed it over her face. All the while, Emma says she was watching this from a distance like it was on television. Wow. And her consciousness would click as if to the next scene. So she remembers watching down from the upstairs hallway as her mother carried Emma's still unmoving body upstairs yeah. with the doctor right next to her holding the oxygen mask in place. Next, she's looking down from the bathroom ceiling and hearing running taps. The doctor had told her mother they needed to flood the room with steam, and outside the bathroom on the landing, her mother was asking her father if there was enough hot water in the tank to do that. Because it's England. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the boiler. <laughs> that's right, that's right. She could also hear her father asking where the ambulance was, why it was taking so long, and, and behind all of that was the sound of her mother crying. Mm. She sees steam filling up the room, and then as it does, she gradually loses sight of her body, Sitting on, uh, where it was sitting with the doctor on the bathroom floor. Right. Uh, when the mist cleared, she, Emma saw herself then on a hospital trolley, and her skin was less gray and blue and more pale. Then she felt pain in her chest again, and that cold, sickly plastic of the oxygen mask on her face. She reached up to touch her face, and just like that, she's her again. Wow. Looking up at the doctors, her parents, and the paramedics. That's amazing. No, that's what it sounds that like. is amazing. Well, and apparently... Um, they never talked about it. No, they wouldn't. Because I guess her mom was a uh, strict Scottish religious type. Sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, and I guess, um, yeah, it, that they didn't talk about it until the early 2000s when her mom had a stroke, a massive stroke, and she said her personality shifted pretty dramatically. Yeah. And she was a very, very different person. So about 18 months after that, they were all at a family gathering. It was her, her mother, her sister, and the topic of hospitals came up. So Emma chance that she asked her mom if she'd ever been to a hospital for anything other than a broken wrist when she was five. Right. And her mother asked why she wanted to know, and Emma told her what she remembered from that night in 1983. Yeah. Her mother confirmed everything. Wow. Yeah. It had been a bout of croup. Yes. And Emma had stopped breathing as the ambulance arrived and only started again en route to the hospital. That's amazing. It definitely sounds like an out-of-body experience. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Not only that, actually, but Emma and I share this experience to a certain degree. How do you mean? I spent my first Christmas at QV Hospital in a croup tent. Oh, wow. Yeah, really? in Rolstoke, yeah. Uh, not only that, actually, I realized as I was writing this, it was the same year as, same year as Emma. <gasps> Whoa, maybe it, you're secretly soul siblings. For her sake, I hope not. <laughs> Me too, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Emma. But yeah, hers was summer 1983, and I remember my mother telling me I spent my first Christmas in the hospital, and my first Christmas was 1983. That is really amazing. Yeah. Wow, cool. 
So Emma's mother told her she wasn't totally surprised by what she knew about that night because Emma had always been different as a child. The way her mother described it was too serious for her age sometimes, and then until she was around four years old, she would tell people that in her last life she was a nurse living in London and had died when a man stabbed her outside of a nursing home. Wow. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for your story, Emma. That was really cool. Um, and and I, I agree with Ian. It sounds like an out-of-body experience. Yeah. And I, I think just because we don't have a vehicle to explain these things yet, or a way to explain, I don't think that means a discounts of it anyway. Well, and kids coming up with pasts, with their, with their previous life pasts. I mean, that's never been a huge component of reincarnation, but I have heard so many of those stories. Oh, yeah, me too. Kids will say, oh, I died in a car accident. My other mother and sister are really, really old now, but I didn't make it. And, and yeah, up until about their time, they're four, maybe five. They are pretty easily able to recall these details, and then it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's interesting it's stuff. pretty amazing. Well, that's going to do it for us for our listener story tonight. I want to thank everyone who wrote in. Uh, we might make listener stories a regular part of the mini episodes. So if you have one to share, please let us know either via the Facebook page or to our email at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. We'll be right back. And we're back. Thanks to everyone who, again, wrote in with their stories. And before we wrap it up, you had a couple of strange things happen during the break, didn't you? Yeah, I, I did. Um, I won't get into some of them here just because it's it, there's a lot of background information. But one thing happened when I was uh, about two weeks ago, I guess. I was just finished working on my radio show. And the way the show works is I, I, assemble, all, I assemble it, do all the recording, and then I, I listen to it to make sure the whole thing once through to make sure all the transitions are in place and all this kind of thing. Right. And so I usually do that. I try to do that when I'm walking. So I, I went for a walk this one night and because I'm history's least interesting man, <laughs> I take the same route pretty much every time I, I walk. Naturally. Yeah. So I, I always walk down um, Oswego Street yep. down to Dallas. Right. Left on Dallas to sometimes to government, sometimes all the way back around to Douglas. Right. Um, but, but yeah, same route every time. So one night it wasn't that late. It was 10, 10 30, you know, uh, not even, you know, not that late for me. It was just not that late for regular people. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, so I was out for this walk and I crossed Simcoe Street. And and I know on a previous episode, you and I have talked about this. I mentioned that I'd gone for a walk <clears> and that it had been kind of strange. Yeah. Uh, crossing Simcoe Street. Yeah, yeah. So this time I'm walking and I'm listening to the songs. And there was one song in particular. It was uh, Hail to the King by Avenged Sevenfold. Right. Which is kind of a, like a hard rock number, you know, with a <laughs> fantastic hook. I'm sure. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Any, anyways. Dead goat head, whatever you're saying. It's, not, it's not that kind of music. Yeah, all right. You're old. Um, so I'm, I'm walking, listening to this, but I noticed that I had this strange sensation of feeling really far away from everything. Okay. I felt like, I don't know, like like I felt kind of lonely and scared. Right. And I thought, because sometimes some, some, some songs are produced in a way that they sound really airtight. Yeah. And there's just, they're not very human. So I, I thought maybe it was that, but but I've listened to the song many times, and I thought, it's never made me feel like this before. So I pulled out my earplugs, or my, my headphones, uh, my studio headphones. <laughs> and what I realized, it's got nothing to do with that. There's something happening around me. Oh, wow. And it felt like the air around me was emptying out. Yikes. It just, I f- suddenly felt like... Like like I, like the road I was on had been elevated above everything else, right? And I was completely alone there. Wow! And I noticed the only sound I could hear was there were diffuse sounds in the distance, right? And my footsteps, and they echoed. It was the strangest Yikes. thing, yeah. So I just thought, well, I'm just going to keep going, push through it. And as soon as I got closer to Dallas, a car went past, and everything it was broke. Fine. Everything yeah. was fine. Wow! So about a week later, I was laying on the couch uh, about eleven o'clock, and so I thought I'm going to go for a walk. I've been sitting on my ass way too long over the break. But I couldn't motivate myself out the door, and I couldn't figure out why. Then, finally, I pushed myself, got get up, put on the shoes, go out the door. Yeah, it's been 38 hours. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen the sun. Uh, and, of course, it was 11 o'clock. But, um, so I, but the weird thing is I went to go push open the front door of the apartment building, and as I did, I got this very strong no. Right. And I thought, nah, I'm just being lazy. So I right, pushed right. it open, kept walking. And, again, I was listening to The Vanished, uh, which is, yeah, about missing people and very, very interesting show. But I felt more and more threatened, hmm. and so I thought, ah, you know, I'm just going to take one earphone out just so I can keep my keep right. keep sort of my bearings. And then I, I became uncomfortable having either ear plugged. Right. And when I pulled both both headphones, what I realized is the echo thing was happening. Oh wow! But I was again. Uh, but I was further away from the thing from where I was before. Oh. So I crossed Simcoe. I kept walking because I'm dumb. And what I started <laughs> noticing is. As I got closer to Niagara, which is a street where I had experienced this, yeah. I felt as though this there was a pressure on my chest that was increasing. Like someone was pushing down on my chest. Right. And <clears throat> as I got closer to Niagara, it really intensified. Wow. Uh, and I started having a hard time breathing. Yeah. But not, it, not like my, my breath was obstructed. It was like there was no air to take in. Yeah. And it was incredibly intense. I was within, I don't know, I was still half a block away. Hmm. And I could see the Christmas lights of houses in the distance just just crisp clear. Right. Like they, like they were perfect, just yeah. perfect vision. Like there was yeah. nothing between me and them. I remember these blue icicle lights kind of blinking in the distance because I, I was just going to try and walk through it because I figured, oh, if I get out the other side, then I don't have to think about it. This voice in my head said, you're not going to be able to get all the way through there. And if you go much further, you're not going to have enough juice to get back out. Wow. Yeah. James Bay is so messed up. Yeah. Like, spiritually, I'm uncomfortable there. 
Um, I don't like walking through there, especially not at night. Yeah. Um, and it was an old Aboriginal village that the, um, it's the oldest residential neighborhood in Victoria. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. And it's one of the first places we kicked the Aboriginal people out of of was because we wanted it essentially. But yeah, it's messed up. Uh, so the other thing that happened, so one night I wanted to work on my radio show. Right. And of course all the stuff's in my office. Right. So I... I thought, I'm going to go down to the office. i got lots of time to work on the show. Yeah. Again, couldn't motivate myself out the door. Right. So finally, about 10 o'clock, I got up and thought, no, I'm going to go do it now. And I, my phone beeped. And I looked. And I had a text from a friend of mine. And she said, hey, um, are you at the office? And I said, no, but I'm, I'm headed there. Why? And she said, maybe don't. Wow. She said, I just, she said she was sitting there watching a movie. And all of a sudden, it something popped into her head, the sense of, Something wrong at the office. Wow. She said, I feel like, she said, I feel like there's something happening there that is not immediately apparent. Right. And it's not specific to you. Right. But if you are there, you will be hurt by it. She said, like a natural disaster. Wow. She said, I wouldn't go there. Hmm. So I was curious. So I got in the car. (laughs) Oh, sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) Drive directly at the center of the sun. You won't expect that. Yeah. What could go wrong? So I drove downtown. Yeah. And um, I turned left onto Simcoe Street. Right. Or sorry, onto um, onto Yates Street. And then I never got closer because what you do is you turn left on Yates and then left on Langley. I never got closer than the right side of the road. I never was able to turn in front of the building. Wow. Because... I saw in my mind's eye, and I know how kooky this sounds, yeah. this enormous black whirlwind where the building was. Like a tornado. Like a tornado. Yeah. Like a huge cylinder yeah. Yeah. of black smoke uh, just whirling yeah. much taller than the building. Wow. And I've never quite experienced anything like this before, but I kept driving. And again, I was I was nowhere near it. I was half a block away at all times. But on the side of my body that faced where this thing was, I felt this blast of cold all the way down from my head down to my legs. Wow. It was like it was like a, a cold blowtorch just on one side of my body. Do you think it was aware of you or no? I don't think it was a I don't, I don't think it was a thing necessarily. It was just an energy. Yeah, I think Wow. I'm starting to wonder if this is kind of an intersection of if that wouldn't surprise me. Bastion Square is a hotbed, and, and we are right on Bastion Square, so that wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, and, and uh, Anthony and I were talking a little bit about this. Yeah. He suggested that if there's any kind of validity to the whole stone tape idea, yeah. that yeah. all the energy yeah. just kind of piles up in the bricks, yeah. and then when something comes through, yeah. it can draw on that. Absolutely. And if for whatever reason you get more traffic than you should have, yeah. it's just all this energy to draw on. Well, and where we do our ghost walks. Oh, of course, that the, the building, layer, right? The, the layer is, um, a lot of people have experienced really scary things in there. I've always been very clear mentally and emotionally that I want nothing to happen. Right. And so I often feel like when I walk in there, there's at least four or five people standing in there. Right. But nothing's ever happened. No chairs have moved. Nobody's, you know, and, and people have had that where they're talking to a group and a chair will move with really? someone sitting on it. Yeah. Like, Yee. yeah, really weird stuff. So I'm cool with nothing happening and I'm very clear about that with whatever's in there. Yeah. And I think it's been, it's been three years now. So I don't think it has anything to prove to me. Right. Um, one person who claims to not believe in any of it said to me, I told her how uncomfortable I was there. And she said, well, maybe you need to spend some time there so the energy can get used to you. This is someone who doesn't believe in it. That's interesting. I know. I know. And I'm like, mm, no, I'm good. Yeah. Hard pass. A hard pass. But um, we've had some other people who go in and deliberately want something to happen and they are not disappointed. 
Really? Yeah. Because usually it's the opposite. Usually no. if you want something to happen, it doesn't. No. And he, he doesn't provoke, but he just lets them know that he's very open to seeing something or experiencing. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> you cannot use that. <laughs> oh, disappointing. <laughs> All right. Uh, so we're going to move on here because we're running out of time. Uh, we also have a couple pieces of non-story-related listener mail. All right. Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs. We're ready to believe you. The first one is from Casey, who wrote in to tell us about her visit to the Queen Mary down in Long Beach, California. She went with her husband and his mother on the Glory Days tour, which is the historical non-paranormal one. She says it was a fun experience, even if the AC was cranked to 11, despite it being cold outside, (laughs) and is going to go back again to show her husband and his mom how hyped up the paranormal tours are. She didn't feel anything paranormal during her time there, even though the guides were trying to wind up another one of the tour groups. Yeah, that kind of stuff grates on me. I don't like... I know. Yeah. I don't like the mat because I've I've heard they actually will play sounds and stuff. Oh and come on! I know, right? It's it just yeah. No, that's cheesy. That's that's Zach Baggins territory. Yes, Zach Baggins. <laughs> that's how I say his name now, Zach Baggins. Puh. Puh. Yeah, going back to Casey for a second. Uh, we have watched that episode of Supernatural and are working on a little something on the subject, but we're probably talking about it on the next show. Sounds good. We thought we might have time to do it tonight, but we don't. Yeah. Um, oh, so Deanna wrote in to say she bought one of our shirts. And Yay. I will be shipping some stickers to her very shortly here. Awesome. We've sold a few things from the store now, right? Uh, we have, yeah. So thank you to everyone who bought things. And remember to let us know who you are so we can send you stickers as a thank you. We, we don't get information about people who buy. No. We just know that people have bought. Yeah. We also got a picture of Elliot, who is one of the winners of our t-shirt giveaway, wearing his prize, and Loki the Raven is also in the picture. Yeah. It is such a cool picture, and I wish we were like had an advertising budget, because I would use that picture That's for advertising. Right. <laughs> uh, shortly after that, Catherine sent us a photo of her and her fancy new Ghost Story Guy shirt, so thank you, Catherine. Mm-hmm. Both those pics are on our Facebook page and my Instagram. Rin also wrote in to endorse Silly Cow Hot Chocolate, which <laughs> came up on the Christmas episode as it's my favorite hot chocolate at the moment. Oh, God. Uh, speaking of which, one of my Christmas presents from Nikki was a box of truffles from No Way Chocolate. Wow. So good. Really? Yeah, it tastes just like real truffles, but it has no dairy, nuts, soy, a bunch of other shit. <laughs> I, I, th- I think the advertiser is free of the seven most common allergens. Ugh, like our imagination. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm allergic to wheat. I'm allergic to dairy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I think gluten's in there. Yeah, yeah they, definitely. Yeah, they don't they don't mention that, but <laughs> uh, but but whatever it is, it's so good. And uh, if you're in the USA, check them out. If you're yeah. in Canada, prepare to pay a ridiculous ridiculous amount for shipping. I am discovering that. I went on a website called Heart Healthy, and I'm buying some no sodium. Uh, uh, broth granules like chicken oh, and beef yeah, without yeah. salt in their, their powder form. They're four ninety five. The shipping is seventeen dollars. Yeah. US. And if you buy anything from No Way, shipping is sixty dollars. Ah I, I sold some You need a group order. Oh yeah. Is yeah. what you need. Well what I'm gonna do is when I go down to the States in March, I'm gonna have a bunch shipped to my hotel. Yes. Because shipping is free in the States over seventy bucks. Oh that's a good idea. Yeah so I'll just pick them up, toss it in my bag. That's a no one knows very good idea. Yeah. yeah, I think I will do that too. Maybe I'll have some stuff shipped to your <laughs> There you go. <laughs> Walking second luggage coming back. <laughs> Morgan wrote to us on Facebook and was very kind. So thank you, Morgan. Excellent. And Cherie also wrote in. And, and Cherie, let me know if I'm pronouncing your name wrong. Uh, I don't know. It, it could be Sherry. Could be Sherry. Could yeah. be Cherie. I'm not sure which. I knew a girl named Sherry who spelled it the French way, C-H-E-R-I-E. Cherie. 
Oh, okay. But she pronounced it Sherry. It's so confusing. Sherry. Well, uh, Sherry, Cherie, however it is, thank you so much. Uh, you, <laughs> she always has such nice things to say about my photos on Instagram. <laughs> Cynthia wrote in to tell us about the Christmas dinner she was making, which was cruel. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And even crueler was that my song, I Know the Lord, has been stuck in her head for days. <laughs> it is a true earworm. Speaking of which, we're going to tell a story of how my album ended up available on streaming platforms worldwide. <laughs> while I had previously managed to keep it hidden in my garage since it came out when I was 23. Well, um, when I first met Ian uh, in 20, late Christmas 2016, yeah. uh, he told me he had this album. And then yeah. one day I was over at his place hanging out. And he played a bit of it for me. Yeah. And I thought, it's really good. And it is. It's really good. And I thought he was mocking me. Yeah, I know he did, of course, because I'm a monster. Yeah. Uh, but no, I genuinely thought it was good. I mean, it's Christian country, yeah. so- it, It's pretty it, hokey. It's a limit. Yeah. But it's it's technically, it is very competent. Right. It is clearly made by someone who A, knows what they're doing, and B, has talent. Because <laughs> I, I get really annoyed at people who have talent but won't commit to something. Right. You know, I, I know someone who, who just released a project. I'm not going to get more specific than that. But I th- it's clearly lovingly put together. But it's on a stupid subject. Right. So they just whiffed it. They intentionally right. whiffed it. And, and I just have no time for that. Yeah. Whereas this is somewhat, no, it's good. It's committed. So I kept te- teasing Ian. I kept saying, I'm not teasing. I kept kept asking him. He said, G- give me the MP3s. Yeah. I said, you give me the MP3s, I'll yeah. get this bitch on everywhere. And I went, ha, 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 yeah. never going to happen. Exactly. Yeah. So then one day we went for, I think, breakfast. Yeah. And as, when I dropped him off at his place, he said, here, I found this in my garage. You can't possibly do any damage with this. Because here. It's a cassette. He gave me a cassette copy, <laughs> a shrink wrap cassette copy of his album. And by the time he got across the street <laughs> to his house, I had already found a place in Victoria that takes cassettes and puts them on, transfers them to MP3. Oh my God. And it's this little Indian shop, like Indian food shop slash grocery store slash <laughs> mailbox drop. Up on up off of Burnside, and I went up there, and and they had it transferred to MP3 in a matter of I don't know five days, yep. and then I had it up on CD Baby. <sighs> oh my god! In about another day and a half. Oh my god! And that's just you redid the album cover. You made oh, it look beautiful. I, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. So I I took a picture that I took in New Mexico years ago, yeah. and sent it to some guy on Fiverr, <laughs> and had a new album cover made. <laughs> so. It's all, yeah, so he's got, if you go to Spotify, if you look for Ian Gibbs on Spotify. Spotify, Google Music, iTunes, (laughs) you put it everywhere. Oh, yeah. And you know what? When you gave that to me for my birthday last year, it was the cruelest, most amazing thing anyone ever done for me. (laughs) I I was, I'm usually pretty good with my emotions. I was genuinely conflicted (laughs) about how I felt about it. And you know what? The sad thing is if I'd known, I would have just given you the stupid MP3s. (laughs) Because <laughs> the sound quality is like, eh, but oh well. Yeah, I know. It drives me nuts, yeah, too. I know. I know. But- uh, I should make you an, a CD. You absolutely should. Okay, or, or just give me the digital files, because I want to play it on my radio show. <laughs> ah, good so times. we also put a call out for questions uh, any listeners had, and there were two. There were. The first was from Cecil, who saw the shadow boxes behind you in the video and wanted to know the greatest concert we had ever attended. His was the Tragically Hip on their farewell tour in 2016. Uh, what's, you go first. What's yours? I haven't really been to a lot of concerts. Really? No. My, my very first concert was Amy Grant because it was Christian. Oh, of course. Yes. I was actually just listening to a podcast. This guy used to work in the Christian music industry, and he mentioned Amy Grant. <gasps> really? Yeah, yeah. I have an autographed picture from her to Ian with love, Amy Grant. Is she cute? She's super cute. I had a poster and everything. Nice. I have all of her albums on, well, on MP3 now. I got rid of all the CDs, but no, I loved her. Mm, honestly? No. No. Okay. I did put on the Christmas album. 
Okay, because she was a crossover artist, right? She big sort of, time. Yeah. She did uh, her big crossover hit was Baby Baby. Right. She did uh, a song with Peter Cetera. Next time I fall in love. Right. That was her first mainstream crossover. But at that point, she had like eleven Christian albums. Like she'd been going since nineteen seventy eight. Oh wow. Okay. So she was a force to be reckoned with. And then she did the crossover thing, which kind of burned her in the Christian world because you know if you're not with us, you're against us. Of course. Um. But she had a pretty successful run with um, Heart and Motion. Right. And then there were a couple of other albums after that. But the big hit, the um, and I will remember you, which she did after nine eleven. Oh, okay. She, she redid that song and dedicated it to them and all that. Right. So, and she's been on TV a bit, but she's never really made it right. huge. But yeah, no. So Amy Grant was probably my, because I'd never been to a concert before. Right. It was amazing. <laughs> and what was yours? Uh, toss up. Uh, one, I mean, it was a good show. It wasn't a great show. It was a good show, but it was memorable because... I never thought I'd get to see them live, and right. that was the Pogues. Okay, at yeah. Kings Hall in Belfast. Cool. I wow. Never. Th- I started listening to them when I was a teenager, right. and they'd broken up. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I thought, well, I'm never going to get to yeah. see them. Yeah. And then I happened to be in Belfast when they were playing. Cool. And I, I that was so wow. Cool. Um, you're so much hipper than me. <laughs> I'm going to Amy Grant in Calgary, Alberta, and you're like, oh, I saw this Irish band in Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> You forgot yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> The other one, it, just for terms of experience, uh, and, and just fu- it's probably the most fun I think I've ever had in a show, was Andrew WK here at Sugar Night Club. Oh, really? I love Andrew WK. I've never heard of him. I, I, you wouldn't have. He no. he was he was poised to really break out in 01 when his album Party Hard came out. Okay. With songs like um, Party Hard, It's Time to Party. Um, <laughs> I'm sensing a theme. Yeah, there's a theme. But uh, it's then like Venga his, Boys party yeah. bus. <laughs> yeah, that was way better. Than that. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, yeah, it's time to party. Party till you puke. Um, <laughs> we want fun. Um, <laughs> so there's some really deep philosophical topics. Yeah, in this yeah, guy's yeah. Lyrics. And then the, his second album came out. It was called The Wolf. And what? <laughs> I know. Not like party harder. Or? Well, the the first two songs are um, Victory Strikes Again and Long Live the Party. Okay. But the cool thing about it is I just love how positive he is. Okay. The one lyric from from uh, Long Live the Party is, if you do not have it, or the more that you get, the more that you can give it, the more it will be, and if you do not have it, you can take it from me. And I just like the positivity of yeah, it. He's just absolutely. so much fun. And yeah. when I saw him at Sugar, this is about four years ago now, with a friend of mine, man, you know, it's a tiny club. This guy's toured the world, and it was just him and a keyboard because he's a very talented pianist. Yeah. He kind of does all of his own shit. Just he didn't care. He was just giving it. He would just you know he just just having a good time. Just loves what he's doing. Enjoying it, yeah. And I saw him in 03 on the Warp tour when he was at sort of the height of his powers, and it was just as much fun ten years later because nice. he just loves what he's doing. That's really cool. So that's the most fun I've ever had. That on the is show. really cool. Uh, the other was from Steve, who of course half of Hexagram. Yep. His question was: If you could meet one famous person's ghost, who would it be? And when I first read the question, I of course defaulted to something silly and perverted. Uh, who was it? Audrey Hepburn. Really? That is not what I would have figured you would say. Anyway, let's not dwell on this. I'm going to take that gift as as it is given. Yes. Who would mine be? That's a tough one. Who would I want to, like, like something you want to know, something you, you ask, question ask. Do you want me to go first? Do you think about it? You said Audrey Hepburn already. No, no, no. I actually have a real answer. Oh, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please do. Okay. Uh, so do you think about yours? Mine okay. would be actually the, the mob boss, Sam Giancana. Wow. Because Giancana is a central figure in a lot of stuff from the 60s, uh, particularly that, that fascinates me. You know, the assassination of JFK, 
uh, being a big one of them. Of course, in this book I read on the break, I Heard You Paint Houses, which is a biography of the mob hitman Frank Sheeran. He says that Kennedy was essentially killed as a result of, as, in, as mob retaliation, basically, which is, is not out of the realm of possibility. Now, a lot of people say that Joe Kennedy Sr., who of course made his money bootlegging, made a lot of friends in the mob, or in what would become the mob, essentially had them fix the ballot in Illinois, which determined the outcome of the 1960 election where Kennedy narrowly beat Richard Nixon. And then, of course, as soon as Kennedy was installed in office, he failed to back the Bay of Pigs invasion, which would have helped restore Cuba to the hands of people who owned it before the revolution. And that was, you know, a lot of that was the mob. And also, of course, Bobby Kennedy formed the McClellan Commission, or McClellan Committee, I think it was, under JFK, and that went after the mob hardcore. In fact, Giancana, I'm sorry, uh, Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy, actually referred to Giancana as a, a little girl in those hearings. It was not popular. So I'm obsessed with that period in history. Interesting. So I'd want, to, I'd want to talk to Sam Giancana and see how much of it is true. I think I would want to talk to the people who were in, what's, I can't get the name of it in my head, Dolotev's Pass. Dyatlov Pass. Because I would really like to know what happened. I think there's more to it than just hypothermia. I don't know what, but that would be an interesting conversation to have. But however, my one wish would be wasted because at the time I would probably forget to ask for an interpreter. So they'd just be <laughs> like babbling at me in Russian. Speaking I'd be like, whoa, Russian, slow down, slow see down. See if we can get Peter to help out. Yeah, <laughs> good call. Well, you've, you've read the story about, um, the theory about that, right? The, the sound anomaly? No. Oh yeah, I'll lend you the book. Oh, good, I have good, a book called yeah. Dead Mountain. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and, that'd be great. And they think what scared everyone out of their tents was this very particular sonic event caused by wind and the shape of the hill behind them. Uh, it's called the Carmen Vortex Street or something, and it, it creates this incredible noise. It sounds like a train going past. Oh, my God. And so it would have sounded like there was some huge thing going past their tent back and forth, back that and forth. That would have terrified Exactly. Wow. So I, 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 well, I, maybe I need to change my dead ghost. <laughs> Just tell me that. <laughs> well, we don't have time for that. <laughs> All right. Don't forget to rate us and review us on iTunes, please. This year, we're hoping to get the word out even more than we have. Definitely. And share our posts on Facebook and Twitter. Our page is the Ghost Story Guys. And for Twitter, we do have an account, but we don't use it much. So come find me at Largely the Truth. And if you want to friend either of us on Facebook, you can. Uh, we don't post a whole bunch, but feel free to do it all the same. And keep an eye on our YouTube channel as we may be putting out a little more video content. Right. Um, since we now have our trial sponsorship with Studio, we tried to record an unboxing video. It didn't go real well. <laughs> so we're, we're going to put bits of it. You know, this, we'll try and salvage a little bit of it. I think that would be fine. Yeah. yeah. Put it up on, on, the, on, the, on the channel. Uh, do you have anything to plug before we go? Um, I'm going to be on a podcast called The Night's Pub. I don't exactly know when that's going to happen, but um, it'll air at 7 p.m. Central Time when I do know the date. Uh, it'll be, it won't be a live show. It, it is a live show, but I'm going to record before. Right, it's pre recorded. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you can find more info at thenightspub.net. That's a night with a K. Um, and we also will have a link in the show notes. How about you? Uh, yeah, I, I do. Although I will say, when you know the date, let me know. We'll put it up on the page. Yeah, sounds good. Um, I've been invited on the Spirit Radio Show on WSCA Radio out of Portsmouth, New Hampshire. By Spirits for Spirits. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, it's a pre-record as well, which I believe will air on Thursday, February 15th at 11 a.m. local time. So that's 8 a.m. here on the West Coast. Nice. You can also tune into my weekly music show every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Civic on 92.5 Stoke FM and via the web at stokefm.com. 
And thank you to Steve and Rachel of Hexagram for letting us use their music as bumpers for this show. You can find them online at hexagram.bandcamp.com. That's two X's in Hexagram. Not three. Not three. It's not that kind of band. Or on Spotify and other streaming services. Thanks, as always, to Pizzanta Music for our intro and outro music. Mm-hmm. You can find him online at soundcloud.com slash Music. Did I tell you he dude got into a fight over Christmas? What? Peter did? Yeah. Some drunk guy decided he didn't like his face and started talking trash to him and his friend Alex. Oh, my God. The guy's girlfriend intervened, and Peter was going to walk away when all of a sudden the guy sucker punched him. Right in the face. Wow. I think this was Christmas Eve. Oh, so Russian. <laughs> yeah. so, so what happened? Peter basically hulked out and fought back, and the other fellow deeply regretted his choices. Russian people are tough. Russian people are Way tough. Way tougher than me. Yeah, Peter said, he said, I haven't been in a fight since I was a kid. He said, you know, <laughs> or a long time. I didn't know what would happen. But he said, good to know I, that went that way and not the other way. Uh, Peter's new album should be dropping sometime this year, so we'll have to keep an eye out for that. Excellent. Yeah, we'll definitely mention it. If you want some Ghost Story Guys merchandise, you can find our store at ghoststoryguys.threadless.com. And if you buy anything, make sure you forward us your receipt, and we'll send you a couple of stickers as a thank you. Uh, I will be in the Las Vegas area in March, uh, maybe Southern California as well. Uh, nice. if, if I am, send me a message. If I, you know, if if you want to try and meet up, I can try. And I'm hoping to go to Southern California this summer and go to the Winchester House. And oh, cool! The, yeah, the ship and all those good. Nice. Things, so. so yeah, so we'll let you guys know a little closer to the date. And like I said, if there's someone who wants to meet up for a coffee, I may be able to. We may be able to make it happen. Yeah, especially if they're buying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. Uh, I think it's going to do it for yeah. us. We'll be back in two weeks. We're back on our regular two week rotation. We are. So until next time, back into the darkness we go. This is the birth of evil, Ian. <laughs> bah, 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 bah. <laughs> so I, but I guess I got harder the next morning. Oh, God. <laughs> Glad we have a lot of time. We're going to need it. <laughs> I can hear you. I can hear you drinking. I just poured it in my mouth. I can still hear it. Oh, come on. I, <sighs> oh, yeah. Here's you. <sighs> I can't help that. I'm well, a piece of shit. You're drinking. <laughs> Put on your recording gloves. <laughs> Tied to the chair. I got googly eyes on. <laughs> it's a lot of work. No, it's not. You just have to read. <laughs> it's almost like we've been doing this for a while. <laughs> What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.